0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fugue for Thought, the podcast. I'm Alan, and I'm very excited today, I know I always say that, to be presenting the first episode in a series that I'm working on about presenting music, classical music, to people who think they don't like it. Now, this idea was first inspired uh, by a recent episode with stage director Mary Birnbaum, who spoke so eloquently about the importance of music and the power that it has for people, whether they're initiated concert goers or first timers, and so I was curious to try to find how various people or organizations are working to break down some of these misconceptions and barriers. Because, as Bob Lord has said in a previous episode, I asked him, you know, what maybe we could, what else we could call classical music. He said, why don't we just call it music? And that's true. And so I've looked around and, and found some different ways that people are working to reach audiences in new ways. And our first episode uh, features a, an ensemble who is doing just that. But before we get started, I would like to tell a brief little story. It's 1893, over 120 years ago, in a little town of less than 400 inhabitants in the northeast corner of Iowa called Spillville. There's a family who has decided to spend their summer vacation there after some time in New York City, but they are from Eastern Europe, a Czech family named Dvorak. Yes, it's that Dvorak. Antonin Dvorak spends his summer of 1893 in a little Czech community in Iowa and he sits down one day and starts sketching a quartet and three days later he's finished the sketch and in less than two weeks he has completed his 12th quartet, a piece that later came to be known as the American Quartet. The quartet was composed more quickly than some of his other work. It was shorter, it was simpler, more concise, and he was very pleased with it, and it was an enormous success. He says of the work, When I wrote this quartet in the Czech community of Spillville in 1893, I wanted to write something for once that was very melodious and straightforward, and dear Papa Haydn kept appearing before my eyes. And that is why it all turned out so simply. And it's good that it did. Now why am I telling this story? For one, I think it's kind of a capital-R romantic story. Uh, one of travel and experience and learning and success, but it was also an admittedly simple approach. One where the composer, a fantastic composer, a very close friend of Johannes Brahms, suddenly had inspiration and he didn't overthink things, he didn't make it complicated, and it was successful. The work likely premiered uh, in a, or was first performed rather, in a private setting in some little hall or living room in Spillville, Iowa, later getting its first official premiere performance in Boston. Dvorak obviously didn't have social media in his day, but we do, and in my use of social media and browsing Instagram and Facebook and seeing what's going on in classical music, I happened to stumble upon a group in New York whose approach to classical music embodies all of these things that I have just kind of conveyed in this story about a simple, welcoming musical approach to concerts and chamber music. It's the Red Door Chamber Players. And today our episode features their uh, one of their violinists and their artistic director, Lisa casal Gallieta. So let's get started. And so I'm, I'm so glad to have you with us, uh, Lisa, from Red Door Chamber Players. Yeah, yes, thank you
1: so much for having us.
0: <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like, I mean, this is the first time we've we've spoken, but I, yeah. I see you and I see Johnny and some of the other folks like on Instagram and Facebook, and I kind of feel like I've seen you guys around. Um, tell me a little bit about how the, how the group got started.
1: Well, um, so we have uh Four of the members actually have a mutual teacher, <laughs> so we've been playing with each other and around each other for a long time. Um, our teacher Linda Sananian she's a wonderful violinist and an amazing chamber musician. so we share that connection and then um, some of the other members we've met through other performances so we've been playing with each other for quite a long time, and you know I just Um, had this vision of starting my own chamber ensemble. And last year, I just had this vision, it was kind of surreal for me. (laughs) But I just envisioned the name, actually. Um, Red Door kept popping in my head. And I was like, why is this keep happening? Like, why do I keep hearing this? And and again, like I said, I was, I, I really wanted to start this ensemble up. And So I had this vision of red door and I I kept picturing my teacher's door, even though it wasn't red, it was blue, but the (laughs) the name red door kept coming into my head, right? So I just decided to kind of look up what the meaning of painting a door red was. And so I looked on it and it said, um, you know, hospitable and welcoming. And I just thought that that really embodied what my vision was. For this ensemble and everything that I feel as a musician, I stand for, and I feel like my colleagues also stand for that, and that's why we fit so well together. Um, you know, as uh, playing together. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's really how it came about, and really, that's where we're going with it. Um, it's about welcoming and making people feel like they're a part of the experience that we're experiencing, which is amazing it's making music for everyone making music for friends and you know that's really what we embody well,
0: I, and, and i think it's amazing because i kind of feel like it's it's difficult enough to get like a handful of people together to like go out to eat yeah <laughs> <Like> much <laughs> and 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 here you are <laughs> do you know what i mean
1: yes i totally know what you mean <laughs> it's always the problem right
0: <laughs> and and just kind of like coordination and and all of that but um i see you guys have rehearsals and concerts regularly and, and, you know, a a really well-established kind of a camaraderie and stuff. Uh, You guys are doing stuff in in the Northeast, right?
1: Yes, we're we're on Long Island and we play mostly Long Island, New York for now. And we're hoping to expand and travel and, you know, bring our message everywhere. I mean, that's really what making music is about anyway, is sharing that gift and um, making people feel good. I mean, that's what our job is, I think, you know.
0: And, and how does that differ from, how should I say this, from, from maybe what some people might perceive classical music as representing?
1: Well, I think for us, and I can only speak for, you know, what we do, is that we're not trying to, um, how do I say it, we're not trying to complicate it we're not trying to ask our audiences to sit there and dissect what we do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. Our our goal in this is to bring joy to people. And, and you know, I think for us, um, we're about musical integrity and, and all of these things, but we're not trying to ask our audiences to understand the musical form or the, you know, the theory behind what we do. We're really just looking to, to bring happiness to them or let allow them to emote or, or experience something new. And um, we talk to our audiences like we're friends, you know, I mean, because that's what we are.
0: And Lisa makes a very good point here, I think, about what the purpose of, you know, going to a concert or listening to music is. Uh, In a future episode that I'm already working on preparing, uh, one of my guests talks about people just learning to enjoy music at a concert and not feeling any pressure. And I think Lisa makes an important point about, um, I'm not a musician, but in the role of the musician, presenting music to fellow musicians or to an audience, and they don't have to be different, but in some cases, they need to be, and and she expresses this quite well.
1: For us, we just want everybody to feel comfortable. Um, I think in the past, you know, coming from an institution, I think we're taught to make music for other musicians. And I, and I don't think that that's really the right approach because that's not who we're making music for. Right. So a lot of times, you know, I think, um, that to our own faults, um, we try to make people understand, or they expect them to understand these complicated things when really that's our job to understand. And then, (laughs) and then to the audience, you know, let them feel emotion or, you know, not not sit there and go, oh, why is that a a one six? You know, qu- whatever. Right. You know, I mean, they don't need to know that stuff. It's kind of like when you go see a production <laughs> of a play or something. You know, all those all the things that go on behind the scenes, nobody wants to know. They just want to see the end product. That's what we do. Uh,
0: obviously, we're talking in the context of of kind of this uh, this quandary, or perhaps the challenge of of getting. Um, either younger audiences or new audiences or unfamiliar audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think maybe one of the big uh, roadblocks or kind of the hindrances to that is this idea that it is kind of an exclusive powdered wig kind of thing that that, that tends to alienate people.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's a shame because I don't think it has to be that way. I mean... It's it's so funny because um last year at at one of our concerts we did an all Latin program. And my husband um he's not he's a musician but he's like a heavy metal rocker. <laughs> so <laughs> right. we're, we're from two different worlds but um but he also does plumbing and heating on the side. So that's like his job. And two of his employee um like his uh coworkers who had never experienced a classical music concert came to our concert. Oh, cool. And afterwards they said, We're coming to every show.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
1: So we introduced somebody who, you know, might not have attended a classical concert and they they were really engaged and they, they liked what we were doing. And it and it wasn't again, it wasn't about um it was all about the music and, and allowing everybody to be okay with experiencing that, you know? Right. So and also another thing we we try to do to um this particular concert um, that we just had, um, three of our members were playing a really difficult Paganini trio for uh, viola guitar and cello. Oh, cool. And again, we introduced like, you know, some really great standard music. And so in between the movements, um, somebody looked like they wanted to clap. And uh, Dan Keen, the guitarist, he turns to the audience and he goes, hey, listen, clap if you want to, please clap if you feel like it. And <laughs> That's kind of our aesthetic. I mean, we just, we, we want people to clap when it feels good. We want people to come and talk to us, you know?
0: Right. I think chamber music has a special role in this reaching audiences. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to contact uh, the Red Door Chamber players. Chamber music, as Lisa says, has a history of being music for friends. Um, In the third Haydn episode, Haydn found, Mike McCaffrey talks about how Haydn and Mozart and Von Hall would go serenading and they would go sit in someone's living room and play these quartets that Haydn wrote. It was music to be enjoyed, you know, to what we would say today casually. And And what I kind of mentioned earlier in the episode is that I tend not to be that kind of a casual person. I like the formal experience of don't speak or clap or do anything, just listen to the music. But I do understand how that can be kind of alienating or intimidating for people maybe who have not gone before. And so listening to Lisa speak about an entirely different concert experience that I'm used to kind of convinced me that this is a very good way to get people comfortable with something that might seem as foreign as classical music. And again, chamber music has a very special role, I think, in being able to do that. And, and what do you think the role specifically of chamber music is, or can be, in, in that sense? Because I think if... Uh, I read on, on some forum or something, maybe Reddit, the other day, where someone asked they were they were preparing a wedding or an event of some kind, or maybe just background music, and they said, "I'm looking for really I can't remember what the word they used, like really pretentious." I think was the word oh, they said. I'm looking for oh. I'm looking for really pretentious sounding music, <laughs> oh, and I think <laughs> what people assume maybe yeah. some of that is is a string quartet kind of like, but but that's not what Haydn. Or Mozart oh. had in mind when they wrote that music. That's, you know, that's a very pigeonholed kind oh, of a tragedy.
1: I know. Chamber music to me is music of friends. It's a conversation. I mean, chamber music was meant to be played in living rooms and at parties and people talking and eating and conversing. And, you know, I mean, that's what we're trying to bring back because the music still has integrity. We still work really hard to produce a great product But in the end, it's about connection. It's about the connection with people and bringing people together. And I think that's lost. And we're trying to bring that back. This one venue, we're allowed to have um, a reception. And we have a reception during the show. So people can bring back (laughs) snacks and coffee and they can sit and they can enjoy. And, you know, they're fully engaged, but they're, they're hanging out. It's like they're in our living room, you know? Right. And that's what we're trying
0: to create. And I don't think that there's there's anyone else, in in my to my recollection that's doing anything like that, um, from the standpoint of making it that accessible and approachable and welcoming.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's. I mean, you know, we're just doing what we're naturally meant to do, and and I think that's why our ensemble works so well together, because. Every single one of us has the same goals in mind to make music for everyone. And I know I keep saying that, but I really do believe in that. Um, And I don't think that I I, I want people. There were young people at our show. um, There were older people. And it was just from every source and walk of life you could imagine. And that's what we want it to be about. I mean, that's what music is about.
0: And so what goes into preparing uh, a program for for a, um, a concert you guys are preparing. So, for example, you said you had a, a latin theme thing. You guys do, yes. obviously, much more than just a, screen, a string quartet because you have yes. guitars and wind instruments and yes.
1: stuff. Yes, we have 12 members, and um, it's really cool because we have organ and we have voice and we have piano and, like you said, wind instruments and guitar and strings. Um, so it really leaves um, a, a huge door open, <laughs> um, no pun intended, for a repertoire, which is amazing. And I, I think putting a concert together is the most fun, although the most difficult, because you're also working with time constraints, you know? Sure. So, But we do break off into smaller groups and give concerts as well. But when we do program um, a concert First, we like to start with something that somebody is interested in playing. Um, right now, we have a theme going through our concerts, which is around the world in 365 days. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so we're visiting different parts of the world with our music. Um, and and so we usually take, like last time we had um, a Giuliani duo for flute and guitar that was a main piece, and then the Paganini trio. So from there, I just research a lot. I kind of go online and and listen to all kinds of music and maybe things that are kind of off the beaten path. Like we played huh. some, some uh, Luigi Denza, which was this gorgeous little piece for tenor, um, violin, piano, and cello. Um, we also did some arrangements of arias and, you know, people really gravitated to it.
0: The Puccini, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, thought, yeah I saw that, you know, and then I arranged the Puccini, um, uh, Nessun Dorma. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I arranged it for a string quintet and tenor. So, oh, nice. So we did a nice program where it was a mix of familiar things to people and then people, things that people never heard of. And that's kind of what opens people's minds up, you know?
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: And then we like to talk to our audiences, of course, but we do it in a conversational way, you know what I mean? And that's the fun part. We usually mix um, longer works and more intense works, with smaller works around it, so right. it keeps it very engaging because it's always changing. My mother said she's like it's so exciting because you don't know what's coming up next and what's what's the next set of instruments coming out, you know. So, we enjoy doing that. You know, it's fun for us as it is for the audience. So,
0: well, and, and as a listener, this is this is kind of a thing that I'm in, in this series for the for the podcast. Um, I want to discuss is like. I can understand someone who maybe doesn't want to spend eighty or a hundred or one hundred and fifty dollars to see something at Lincoln Center because they don't know if they're going to like it and it's three hours that's That's a gamble, but what do you have to lose from putting something on YouTube or you know spending a couple of bucks on an album or walking into a concert and just enjoying it?
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> I think when you get someone into the right headspace and they're in the right environment and they kind of, they know what's going on. Um, You know, it doesn't matter if it's a a Beethoven or Mozart thing that everyone's heard before or something completely obscure. It it can work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I also think that, I mean, you look back at these guys when they were writing music, I mean, were they writing music for themselves or were they writing music for people, you know, to enjoy? And, you know, I mean, I, 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 this is the kind of concert I want to go see. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the way I think about it. Like, what would sure. I want to go see? And we're just trying to present something beautiful to the world. That's, you know, our goal.
0: In our, our emails, we had chatted a little bit kind of in preparation for this. I was curious to ask about the role of uh, challenge, yeah. kind of challenging the listener in, in a performance one of the, maybe the, the, the ultra modern version of that, of that powdered wig exclusive approach to classical music is that it must be incomprehensible and, and abstract, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And, and so what is the role of that kind of a little bit of challenge or newness?
1: Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying because I've also been involved in playing, you know, contemporary pieces and contemporary ensembles and, you know, having to experience that um, as a violinist, um, but I don't know if you know our job is to necessarily have to make it that hard for people to listen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I respect that kind of music. I play it. I mean, I I enjoy it at times, and um, and I think again, I think our role as the musicians is we're vessels to try to make people enjoy music. And so I think some of that music again is um, coming from that tradition of institutional music where, you know, we're coming from um, playing music for musicians. And, And I think it's okay for us as musicians delving deep inside that very difficult kind of music for us, for our growth. I absolutely think that that's important, you know, well but I, said. but I think um, in in order for us, for our audiences to enjoy it, we have to make it enjoyable for them. So what I mean by that is, I think that by giving them visualization, um, giving them background, I mean all of those things can open up a path for them to listen with different ears. I think.
0: Right. A light bulb so, to go off.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think we should go into any concert situation and expect people to just get it. You know what I mean? I mean, I just yeah. don't I don't think that that is how it should be. I mean, again, I think from if I was in a cons- if I was in, you know, conservatory, then, of course, you know, I'd have to sit there and rationalize and think about how it's made <laughs> up and blah, blah, blah. You know, sure. but but is that for everybody? I don't I don't think so. I, I don't think it is, and I think it's our job and as musicians to present it in a way that allows people to emote or right. feel something, do you know what I mean? And I don't think if we, if we don't do that, then I don't think we've done our job, because I think that we can make music approachable if, right. if we just set out to make it approachable and not just this complicated, like you said, pretentious powdered wig view. Mm-hmm.
0: And social media is one of those things that these days is just absolutely omnipresent. But what, what relationship do Instagram and Facebook or Twitter or whatever have to classical music? And how are the Red Door Chamber players, as an ensemble or as individuals, using that tool to reach people? Because it might seem like those things are unrelated, but as you've heard Lisa discuss, their approach to be friendly and approachable and welcoming they've been able to do that very well on social media I was thinking just before we started talking I can't remember how I first stumbled across it must have been your Instagram account oh okay um, yeah maybe yeah but, but I can't but I can't remember how, where how I came across it or what it was but anyway I, I've and then I found you guys on Facebook and <laughs> And and the I, the use of, of social media has become one of those things where like it just kind of integrates into, you know, I'm nine thousand miles away from yeah. where you guys are. Which is but so it cool. integrates <laughs> you know, it's totally cool. So cool. But it, but it integrates into kind of your daily routine. Like I'm flipping yeah. through, you know, it's it's very late for me here now and it's your morning, and I'm flipping through and I own one day and I go, Oh, Red Door has a concert tonight. <laughs> it it's a way that kind of works it into people's radar and their perception is, is entirely different because you guys look like you're having a blast.
1: I mean, we kind of are. And I'm, I am have to say that when you initially emailed me and we were talking back and forth and the things that you said that you could gather from Instagram um, were exactly what we represent. And the fact that you could see that speaks volumes. I mean, it just means so much to us that people out there recognize what we're about and you know we don't i'll be honest like we just we're not trying to be perceived as anything but who we are and that's kind of how we approach our concert and our music making and you know these these are lessons that we were taught thank god we were taught this you know right. way of making music and it's really important because because that's our goal in life is to really just be an ensemble that people can relate to and Sit and experience it with us
0: you know maybe you had um a, a high school teacher or you know sat through a presentation or something and you have that person who has such a passion mm-hmm. for something that's so boring that you want to listen
1: yeah
0: i'm going i'm getting somewhere i'm getting somewhere. okay this. the idea that passion for something and and a a professionalism and an expertise is highly contagious and so you know it could be about like underwater basket weaving (laughs) but when you're listening to someone who knows everything about it and they're passionate about it and they're so eager to share you kind of can't help but get wrapped up in it much much less in a situation where like you've said this is music and people love it to begin with you kind of just get get kind of sucked into the thing and the social media aspect of it has, has never seemed to me, like you said, you just take pictures cause you're having fun and that's what it looks like because, um, you know, some of it has become very commercial. Yeah. The, this is uh, a new album you should go download or it's, you know, that kind of social media thing, but that's not what you guys are, are no, doing. It, it, no. Like you said, it looks like you guys are just, you know, on a, on a long field trip.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we feel all the time. <laughs> um, you know, we're, I, I like to think we're a completely homegrown group. We do everything ourselves. Like, um, I do all the graphics for all our posters. Um, our guitarist, Dan, does all our website stuff. Like, we really are homegrown. <laughs> you know, it, it's it is it's a lot of work, but it's the most rewarding. It really is. Right. And um, I kinda, I remember somebody saying to me one time, you know the trend is streamlining your you know websites and this and that and the other thing they said well i don't think we're like everybody else i was like i i think we're kind of fun and i think that's what our graphics and our our logo shows is that you know who we are this is who we are you
0: know? yeah and that's a personality like like you said that that people will identify with and yeah. when you guys show that you're having a good time it it conveys to people that that's something that's worth Worth going to check out. And how cool, like you said, to have people kind of from all walks of life, if you want to talk about challenge, kind of break down misconceptions they have about, you know, Haydn Quartet or something. Yeah. You know, that it's amazing. Exactly.
1: That's the, you know, we know that we've done our job if we can make one person in that audience smile. The the cool thing is that after the shows when people come up to you, even during the break, like we'll go out and we'll talk to people. And, oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, we really love that connection because... People want to be a part of that, you know? I mean, how many times have you been to a concert and you're sitting in your chair and you're like, I want to go home and, and play something, you know?
0: I try to do my homework before I speak with every one of my guests. So throughout this conversation, we spoke about many of the things I wanted to discuss. Their aesthetic, their purpose, their personality, their use of social media, how they interact with audiences. But Lisa... Uh, brought something up that I was completely unaware of that I thought was really special, not just focusing on music and on concerts and on performing, but really on something that that has, to me, a lot of meaning.
1: You know, I I want to mention this, too. We also... um have like student volunteers that come and help us out during the shows. Oh, cool. Because what we're trying to do is show them how a concert is created and put from the ground up. They do all of our ticket handling. They do our program handling. They do our staging. Um, And I, we want to inspire another generation of musicians to come and make music like we're doing. And so we really have this sense of community as well. It's it's
0: That's awesome. all
1: encompassing. That's really. super cool. Yeah. Because
0: that's that's the kind of a thing. What was I just seeing? Oh, just a couple of days ago on Facebook, the Chamber Orchestra of Europe said they're looking for like a tour coordinator kind of a, you know, a position like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a career for someone. Yeah, and really and to have that kind of exposure, like you said, you know, at high school or college, someone who's, who's young and gets that experience, yeah. that could be a career path.
1: I mean, that's, you know, again, we're trying to just inspire in so many different ways. And they just, they walk out of the concert. First of all, they get to watch the concert. So they're already seeing what their teachers do. I mean, there are students right. that are coming and volunteering. So they get to watch their teachers and they get to hear some really fantastic music, but they're also involved. So it makes them feel a part of it too, you know? And have a
0: sense of accomplishment for
1: Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Really fantastic. I mean, I'll tell you, this year has been a roller coaster of just excitement, emotion. And I mean, this this kind of topped it all off for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> To be able to share this with you and, and other people is really important to us. This is this is my dream. And I know for many of the other ensemble members, you know, we're they're all very busy with other projects. And that's what's cool about it. You know, we come together and we do this this really special thing together, but we also have other other things that we do too. And I mean I guess it's the, the cool thing about being a freelance musician and we're really motivated.
0: Um, what's coming up next?
1: Well, we have, um, we're going to sail the Mediterranean. Um, we're going to also, uh, we have a, this is very cool. We're going to be playing a, um, classical music of the Caribbean concert in uh, either May or June. We're waiting on the date. It's, we're going to be part of a concert series in Harlem. And yeah, so we're really excited about that. And then we have to finish off the year. We're going to be doing an American concert. So it's called returning home. Yeah. So what a great idea. I know. So we have a lot of exciting programs coming up. Um, We're just really thrilled to share some great music. With the world,
0: what's on the what's on the American program? Is it is it secret?
1: Oh, it's a little secret for right now. Okay, okay.
0: No. <laughs> Next question. Um, <laughs> I'd be curious to see what's on your program when that when that comes around. I will um,
1: definitely send you a copy of that program.
0: <laughs> very cool. Let you very know cool. about it.
1: We do. I mean, yeah, we have some. Some. I'll, I'll let you know.
0: <laughs> well, and you guys, you guys perform in what what kind of venue? Because you're talking about folks who are coming in and like. They don't let you bring coffee into standard concert yeah, halls. Yeah,
1: not not always. Yeah, so we're, we're performing at um, definitely, like, churches and local spaces like that. Actually, we have um, – we're going to be collaborating with a chocolate company um, uh... on the North Fork of Long Island. I know. How cool, right? We're going to set up a concert um, there at their venue. Um, and, again, like, we're trying to do – we're trying to find some also spaces that are, you know, not so conventional. Um, yeah. Because again, I don't think we're very conventional. I think that, you know, and and we love the intimacy. I mean, that's what drives people to music anyway, is that intimacy. And having that to share with your audience is so important. You know, we like to be in the crowd playing.
0: That's cool though. That's Yeah.
1: Yeah. We don't ever do program notes. It's only, we have like our bios and like what we're playing, but everybody talks. And sometimes like we'll have an opener where we don't talk. It's just like a, an opening piece that we just leave right there, <laughs> an intro, and then totally. we welcome everybody. So yeah, we, we all talk and we all give information and yeah, so it allows a different kind of experience.
0: Well, that can probably come across better in some ways than, um, you know, like the Naxos program notes from their yeah. library on piece of paper. <laughs>
1: it right. adds to the experience. I think for the performer, having to do it and remember all the information and, and to the audience... <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, and, and, you know, we make jokes like sometimes like we played a Rossini um, string sonata at this last concert and, but we did it for two cellos instead of cello and bass. And oh, cool. yeah, and so actually when I was talking about Rossini, um, I had the, I had Johnny, uh, who's the other violinist, he played a little bit of Barbara Seville. So it, it kind of, it set that, you know, introduction up for the piece. Sure. And then and it some was
0: familiarity. Like,
1: yeah. And so people were like, okay, with listening to this really great piece, because they were like, oh, okay, I know this guy. Got you know? it. Yeah. Yeah. So we do kind of fun things like that to just engage people. So. And you guys have,
0: the violins have a nickname, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> we are called Diddles, <laughs> the Fiddle yes. Diddles. That was given to us by um, Kristen Nikai, uh, who's uh, the, one of the violists in our ensemble. <laughs> Yes, she calls us fiddle diddles. She's like, Diddles <laughs> Yeah, I'm Diddle One and he's Diddle Two. And we we do call each other that. So it's it's very endearing. Yeah. Well Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today. It really was.
0: There's not really a whole lot else to say, is there? I think it's obvious that um, that they're a very friendly, very approachable bunch. And if you go check them out on on social media, you will see that. I'll have their social media information for Instagram, for Facebook, in the information for this episode, as well as in the uh, article that features this episode on the blog. So go check that out. See them online. And, you know, maybe you are in New York and you already know of the Red Door Chamber players. And that's awesome. I'm very glad you guys are listening. But if you're not, and it's very likely that you're not in New York, I hope that you can take the spirit of what Lisa has communicated about their ensemble. Even if you can't go see the Red Door Chamber Players in a library or a chocolate factory somewhere, just go check out some music. Listen to something on YouTube. Purchase an album. See what kind of concerts are coming up where you are. And enjoy music in the spirit that they hope their audience does. So take Lisa's advice, go enjoy some classical music because it might be something much more than you think it is. I'm very excited about some of the future episodes in this series about making music accessible and welcoming and getting new audiences. I have some great conversations coming up from various people, so do stay tuned for those. The music that you heard today was, in fact, um, the quartet that I talked about at the top of this episode. It is Dvorak's 12th quartet from museopen.org from the European Archive um, that is completely royalty-free and accessible. So if you're looking for some classical music that you can use anywhere for anything, um, go check that out, musopen.org. The podcast is recorded with Zencaster. They're not a sponsor, um, but if you are interested in doing a podcast or know someone who is, then um, go check them out because I do love the service that they're offering. Check me out on www.fugueforthought.de. Fugue, F-U-G-U-E. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Share with your friends, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.